Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Moses never really surrenders to go. He never really says to God, okay, I'll go. He just goes. It's as if God just wears him down. He's like, fine, all right. And he just goes to become that deliverer. Here's the thing. He thought God was going to use all of the power and the influence and the position that he had as a young man in Egypt, but God wasn't going to use that at all. God had to strip it from him completely. At times, we can all get prideful and begin to think that we have a lot to offer God, whether it's our position in society, our education, or our wealth. But God doesn't need or look for those types of qualities when He looks for someone to use. God sees the heart that is humble and willing to obey Him, and He provides the rest. Today we look at the faith of Moses in Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 27 on Practical Christian Living. Stay with us. Here's Robert Furrow. Father, we want to thank you. Lord, we really are blessed by your word. The waters of your word run deep. Your word is alive and active. And we believe that as we study your word and become doers and not only hearers of your word, that our lives are radically changed. And we want to be those that live wholeheartedly for you. We don't want to follow you out of a lack of sincerity or with hypocrisy in our lives. Lord, we, we thank you for the power of your spirit. We pray that he would apply these things to us as we now take time to study your word. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is the third study that we've done in Hebrews chapter 11 as we're looking at how men and women were used by God in faith in the Old Testament. He started off this chapter by saying that faith is the substance of things not seen and it is the evidence of things that we hope for. And I've started off both of these studies so far talking about that verse. I wanna do that again today. Because I want us to have a clear understanding as to what that verse means. That can be a verse that we just hear said, it sounds good, but in the end we go, I don't really know what it means. I don't know how faith is the substance of things not seen and how it is the evidence of things hoped for. Listen, faith and living by faith and walking by faith is the means by which God moves in your life. It is opposite of the world. In the world, we see and then we believe. But with God and in the spiritual realm, we believe and then we see. We are not going to see God move in a powerful, strong way until we believe. And believing is believing it enough to make good, solid choices. Now, that's the title of our message today, Moses, Faith, and Choices. And when you make a good choice to follow God, you may struggle with confidence You may struggle with doubt. It might shock you to learn. I believe every Christian at one point or another deals with doubt. When I was a young Christian, there came a point now when I was probably 19 or 20 years old, I really wanted to see a miracle. I wanted to see an angel. One of my friends had told me that he woke up in the middle of the night and there was an angel at the foot of his bed. He said the angel was seven foot tall. The angel had these big wings and he was glowing. And I remember saying to God, I want to see an angel. The reason I wanted to see the angel is because I wanted proof that God existed. I was really struggling in my faith as to whether or not when I was praying, whether or not God was really there. 
It came a point, though, when God touched my heart and said, I'm not going to give you an angel. I'm not going to show you an angel. You're going to have to believe by faith. Christians, at one point or another in their walk, struggle with their, their faith. They struggle with whether or not God is even there. But to walk in faith is not whether or not you might have some doubts or whether or not you're really confident, but it comes down to what you decide to do. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. It's the life that we choose to live as Christians, that we are now not going to live for our own goals, our own desires, our own plans. We're going to deny ourselves and we're going to begin to live for him. Whether or not you have doubts or how confident you are and you come to that place and you do that, now God is going to begin to move in your life and you're going to gain the substance of what God has for you because you stepped out in faith. The disciples at one point asked Jesus, increase our faith. And if you struggle with doubts, you may want to say that to the Lord right now. You may want to say, God, please increase my faith. I really don't want to struggle with these things. You know what Jesus said to the disciples? How long have I been with you and you still don't understand? That was a kind of a mild rebuke or maybe even a not so mild rebuke, right? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. In other words, it's not about how much faith you've got. It's about using the faith you have do you believe enough to say, I'm ready to live for you? God, speak to me, use me, and I will deny the things of this world and I will follow you. I believe that this world is a dead end. I believe there's all kinds of promise that the world has, promise of satisfaction, promise of fulfillment, promise of lust being fulfilled, promise of you having yourself fulfilled, but it's a dead end in the end. Guys, you ever turn down a road? Your wife says, this is a dead end. You go, nah, it goes through, only to find out that it's a dead end. <laughs> That's the world. The world's a dead end. You turn down it and you think, I know that God told me I should live for him and not live for the things of this world, but just let me try. I think that I can make it happen. And you head down that road only to find out that it is a dead end. Now, the examples that we find then in Hebrews chapter 11 is example after example after example of men who made decisions by faith and saw God move. And how you and I can make choices in our lives based upon faith, great faith or small faith, faith the size of a mustard seed or faith the size of a mountain, doesn't matter. But we make choices based upon that faith and see God move in our lives. I believe that God will move if you will have faith. If you will believe, then you will see the substance of God in your life. We now come here in verse 24 to one of the greatest men in the Old Testament. In fact, out of all of the men that are written about in the Old Testament, I think that Moses had the most influence. Moses was the one who brought the law. But Moses had been raised in the court of Pharaoh. Moses was raised in all of the schools and wisdom and even in a military sense in, in Egypt. You remember that his mom, when he was a baby, that the command had gone out to take the Hebrew babies and throw them into the river while they were alive. And his mom hid him as long as she could. In fact, it's kind of funny. It says because he was a beautiful baby, she hid him. You kind of wonder if he was ugly, what she, would she have done? <laughs> but because he was a beautiful baby, that she hid him. And then when she could no longer hide him, she took him and she put him in a little boat, covered it in pitch so it would float, and she put him in the river. She actually fulfilled the command to throw the baby in the river, but it was gently. <laughs> and it was in a boat. 
And God took over from there and that little boat floated over to the princess, to the daughter of Pharaoh. And again, the Bible says that when she looked at the baby and saw that he was beautiful and she cried, she took him as her own. Again, had it been an ugly baby and cried, she might've given it away. Take this baby away from me. (laughs) But she saw he was beautiful and crying and her heart was opened and she brought him into her home. And he was raised as one who would take over the throne. He was raised as one who may have gotten to the area where he could have taken it over. He had all the power. He had all the strength. He had all the finances. He had all the funding of Egypt behind him. No wonder when Moses turned and looked at the Hebrew people and saw them in slavery and saw the hard taskmasters that Moses determined, God has raised me up as a deliverer. You'd probably think the same, wouldn't you? If circumstances worked out in your life and you ended up being in the most powerful family in Egypt and you really were a Hebrew, you might think that God has raised you up to deliver them. And Moses believed that he was going to be a deliverer. We learn in the book of Acts that he thought that they were going to understand it. So Moses, again, he's a military guy. He was trained in the military. I likened him in our study in Exodus to being a part of the Delta Force. Now, I don't know whether that's really true, but I can tell you that he was trained how to fight. The Bible says that he went out and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and he looked right and he looked left and he killed the Egyptian. He knew how to do it. I don't know how he killed him. I don't know if he pulled a knife or a sword or he cracked his neck or he hit him in the head with a rock. However it was, he knew how to kill that guy and he killed him and he buried him in the sand because he thought that God was going to use him as a deliverer, that he was going to be the deliverer for the nation. And then he went out the next day and he saw two Hebrews fighting. And so he said, brothers, why are you fighting against each other? Thinking that they were going to recognize that he was the deliverer. And they said, are you going to kill us the way you killed the Egyptian? And all of a sudden he realized that what he had done had been known. He looked right and he looked left, but he didn't look up. Somebody saw it. And so he fled. And I'm sure as he was fleeing that Moses said, I am out of the deliverance business. I'm done. God, I tried to deliver and look at what's happened to me now. But you know, when he got to medium, do you remember what happened? He shows up at medium. He goes to a well. There's a handful of shepherd girls, one of them who he ends up marrying. So I'm sure he was like, ooh, look at her, okay? So there's a handful of shepherd girls that are there. And there's some guys who are shepherds that are chasing the girls away, not letting them water their flock. They were bringing their flocks in first and telling the girls, you wait. Well, here comes Moses out from behind a bush, you know, the Egyptian soldier, stick and whatever. And he beats up the shepherds. The shepherds don't know what hit him. All of a sudden, here comes this guy as dressed as an Egyptian who delivers. He's still a deliverer. He can't get away from it. Even when he runs from being a deliverer all the way to medium, he ends up being a deliverer there. And when he's 80 years old, he's going to see a bush that burns. And God's going to say to Moses, now I want you to go and deliver my people. You know what Moses says? "Uh Uh-uh. God says, "Uh uh-huh. Moses, "Uh uh-uh, uh-huh, uh-uh, uh-huh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Moses says, I can't, God. I can't, I can't. I, I don't talk good. And God says to Moses, no, you don't talk well, Moses. <laughs> now, that didn't happen. But Moses did say, I don't speak well. And God said, I made your mouth, Moses. I can do anything. I can work in your life. And it's funny, as you read the story, Moses never really surrenders to go. He never really says to God, okay, I'll go. He just goes. It's as if God just wears him down. He's like, fine, all right. And he just goes to become that deliverer. Here's the thing. He thought God was going to use all of the power and the influence and the position that he had as a young man in Egypt, 
but God wasn't gonna use that at all. God had to strip it from him completely because in our weaknesses, God is strong. You might think it's because of your influence, power, because of your talent, because of your gifting, because of some position that you've gained now that God would use you, because of the money that you have that God would use you, but it is in your weakness that God uses you. And for those of you who are here today that say, I have nothing to offer God, you tell me what Moses as a shepherd had to offer God when God raised him up as a deliverer. God doesn't need any of that to do what God is going to do. And so here in verse 24, we not only get the choice that Moses makes, but we learn what was going on in his head. We learn what he was thinking when he made these choices of faith. Look at verse 24. It says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age. Now, first of all, that's pretty funny because when Stephen was addressing in Acts, Moses, Stephen said, when Moses was 40 years old, he went out and looked upon the affliction of his people. So when Moses became of age, he was 40. Now, if you're young, you go, oh no, you become of age when you're 18, okay? Or you're 21, whatever it is that you say. If you're 40 now, you like it. You go, yeah, life's just starting. I'm just become of age. For me, I don't know, it's 50, I think. That's when you become of age. But nevertheless, when Moses became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. There came a point when Moses gave up all of that privilege that he had been given. When he refused, when he said, I'm a Hebrew and I am not an Egyptian and I will not accept being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, this means he gave up the line to the throne. He gave up that position. Now, all of us are called to surrender. All of us are called to give up. Not all of us are in line for the throne in Egypt and able to give that up, right? But that doesn't mean that you are not called to sacrifice. Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Do you believe that this world has what you need or do you believe that God has what you need? And are you willing to say as he did, I refuse the things of this world because in the end, they're a dead end. And what can they do for you in the long haul? You will perish one day. You know, the old statement, it's been used in a thousand sermons. It's been used in a hundred thousand sermons. But the old statement, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take anything with you. Doesn't matter how much you accumulate. It doesn't matter what you do. When you stand before God, it is as Job said, naked I have came into this world and naked I will leave. You can take nothing with you. And so he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But we learn a little bit more about it. And here's his choice. Verse 25, choosing, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He could have stayed comfortable, but he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. When you make a commitment to Christ, you know, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And that is certainly true. He said, if you drink of this water, you will thirst again, but drink of the water that I give you and you will never thirst again. I believe that being a Christian is the most fulfilling, that living for him is the way that you are the most satisfied and that you are the most fulfilled. But that doesn't mean that you won't suffer. And it doesn't mean you won't have affliction. You have behind door number one, the world. And you have behind door number two, following Jesus. And Jesus said, if you choose this door in this world, you will have tribulation. Now, that's not a promise we hang on our walls. It's not one we put on plaques or in pocket promise books. 
I've got a plaque that says, in this world you will have tribulation, only because I said this in a sermon one time and one of you guys decided to give me one. <laughs> so I put it out in my garage. It's actually hanging near a saw. I don't know how good that is. You're working with the saw. In this world you will have tribulation. Fingers, get your fingers out of the way. In this world you will have tribulation. Paul, like Moses, had all of this influence as a Hebrew leader and Paul gave it up to follow Christ. And here's what Paul said that I might know him in the power of the resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. And then later on, Paul said that I could complete the work of Christ by the suffering of my body. Now, I'll, I'll confess to you that I've looked at that verse many times and wondered exactly what it means. How can we, through our suffering, fulfill the work of Christ? He suffered on the cross and he died and he completed that work. But how can me go through suffering be used to complete his work? Because God's not done saving souls yet. I'm not saying I completely understand it now, but I'm telling you I'm getting a better understanding that it is in the midst of our difficulties and sorrows and tribulations and sufferings that God uses us in the most powerful way. It is then that God reaches out and begins to touch lives through us we say, well, I want to follow him, but I don't know that I want tribulation. I don't know that I want difficulty. I don't know that I want suffering. Peter said, don't think it's strange when you encounter fiery trials. James said, consider it all joy when you face various kinds of trials. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have persecution and you will have tribulation. But it is in the midst of all of that that God uses to bring people into eternity because it's not living here and now that matters. It's what's in the future. And so he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, understanding the affliction, right? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And now we learn more about what's going on inside of his head, esteeming the reproach of Christ. The word esteem means to lift up. We understand that. He esteemed the reproach of Christ, like Paul, who gloried in his suffering for Jesus, he esteemed suffering with God's people. He said, this is something. Now, remember, Jesus wasn't around yet. So when it says esteeming uh, the suffering of Christ or esteeming the affliction of Christ, it's the word Messiah. He was waiting for the Messiah and he esteemed that suffering. Do you lift up how God might use you in a difficult and tough way? Do you esteem saying, you know what, Lord, I give my life to you and however you want to use me, whatever you want to do, then I'll do it. I'm rereading a book now on the life of D.L. Moody. It's a biography on D.L. Moody. It's a powerful book. It's a long book. But if you're looking for something to read that will really encourage you in your faith, it's a great book to read. It's called A Passion for Souls. But one of the things that it says about D.L. Moody, he was a very successful businessman as a young man. First of all, he was completely illiterate. He grew up in a home. His father died young. He wasn't able to go to school. And in 1855 or so, he went to Chicago and he began to sell shoes. And pretty soon, he was a strong businessman. He was making $7,000 a year, which in 1855 was a lot of money, all right? It'd be like $150,000 today. And he gave it all up to enter into ministry. He gave it all up to run a Sunday school for children out of the sands, the area in the sands back then was called Little Hell. No one would go into the area and minister to people. And D.L. Moody, because he was illiterate, just felt, that's all I can minister to. 
That's what he told people. He said, God's called me to minister to him because that's all I can minister to. He felt he couldn't minister to people who were literate, so he went to the ones that were illiterate to begin to minister to him. And he gave up his position as a businessman. He started sleeping on benches. He was living off of his money, but he was also using his money to feed these people, the money that he had saved. And his friends thought he was nuts. His friends told him, you can be far more successful at helping these children if you work in the business world. But he felt that God had called him to give it all up and he laid it all down. God ended up using D.L. Moody as one of the greatest preachers to ever reach our country. In fact, he held a revival in New York that had 14,000 people a night show up for nine months. 14,000 people for nine months. And thousands of people every night gave their lives to Christ. God used him to minister to many people that lost their lives. When the Civil War started, when President Lincoln, by the way, after he had given up his position as a businessman, President Lincoln came to his Sunday school, which gave him a lot of position. God just kind of used that in that way. But when President Lincoln became president, he ran on a platform where he wasn't going to let any of the territories become states if they were going to allow slaves. That caused North Carolina and a few of the other states to secede and call themselves a whole different country. They seceded and it started the Civil War. And when it started, they thought it was only gonna take a few months to bring the South back into line. It ended up taking years, right? And became a bloody, bloody battle. And God used D.L. Moody in the middle of that to touch many of the hearts of young men that lost their lives in that battle. It's interesting how God raised him up and gave him such influence right in a time when it was really needed. See, you and I don't know what's coming. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what God's gonna need or how God could move. And all we can do is say, Lord, I'm yours. And I'll follow you however you want me to follow. I don't know that God wants you to give up business or God wants you to be used in your business. It's different for everybody. But what I know is God is asking you to sacrifice. God is asking you to esteem the reproach of Christ to say, you know what? I'll be laughed at for him. I'll be mocked for him. The world thinks that we as Christians are weak. But what the world doesn't know is that what we have in Christ is exactly what this world needs. And there is real strength that comes from him. Now, the passage goes on to tell us a little bit more about what was going on in his mind. It says in verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He thought, if I go and live with the people, if I deliver them, there are greater riches in that than the riches that are in Egypt. He gave up the temporary riches of Egypt because he believed that there were greater riches and rewards with God. I had said early on in this study that the world has nothing to offer us. You know how I learned that? I walked away from God for a year and God spoke to me. You're on your own. It's time to come back. I went home that night and I laid down on my bed and I said to God, I still remember staring up at the ceiling and saying to God, okay, God, I'm done. I'm done living for myself, whatever you want me to do. Isn't that funny? I come to the very bottom, I lose it all. And now I'm like, okay, God, I'm here. I think God was saying to me, you thought the world had something to offer you. And I'm telling you all it has to offer is bitterness. And you need to drink every last drop of it. It was as if God made me drink every last drop of bitterness so that I would be able to say to you with all confidence, that world has nothing to offer me. 
I know in the short term, there may be pleasure in sin for a season. I know that. But I also know that as we look at the reward, what we have in Christ is no comparison to the world. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.